This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, work with one that has your best interest in mind. Use Rocket Mortgage for a transparent, trustworthy home loan process that's completely online at quickenloans.com. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. And he's also the advisor on Motley Fool's Rule Your Retirement newsletter. Hello, bro. Well, hello, Allison. This week, we're taking a look at the money challenges of those in the military. We're doing it with the help of a letter from Sergeant Y, who is trying so hard to get his soldiers to take better care of their money through the teaching power of push-ups. We'll also answer your question about front-loading your Roth IRA. All that and more on this week's episode of Molly Fool Answers. It's time for Answers Answers, and today's question comes from Josh. Josh writes, With tax season coming to an end, I was wondering your thoughts on front-loading my Roth IRA. I've always deposited 200 ish dollars every two weeks so that I'm maxing out at the end of the year, but I always see articles about how much better front-loading an IRA is. What are your thoughts? Good question, Josh. First of all, congratulations for maxing out your Roth every year. Gold star to you. That's right. And by front-loading, what he means is just maxing it out as soon as possible in the beginning of the year rather than putting in regular contributions throughout the year. And it's a question for anyone who is contributing to an IRA, but also anyone who comes into any sudden wealth. Maybe you got an inheritance or something like that. And people often wonder, should I invest it all now or should I gradually invest it over the period of a year or so? And fortunately, Vanguard just did an analysis of this question. Uh, They came out with a study, they entitled it, Invest Now or Temporarily Hold Your Cash. And this was their conclusion, and that is that what they did is they looked at a portfolio of 60% stocks, 40% bonds in the US, looked at the numbers from 1926 to 2015, and they found that, generally speaking, in two thirds of the time, you would have been better off just getting the money in the market immediately. And historically, you would have had an outperformance of 2.4% over if you had done it gradually over the That's year. It's not bad. It's not bad. And what was really interesting is that they also looked at the UK market and the Australian market. They looked at 100% stock portfolio, 50-50 stocks, bonds, and all bonds. And across pretty much all of those scenarios, it came out to be that about two-thirds of the time, you're better off getting the money in immediately. So, the evidence is pretty clear that, generally speaking, that's the way to do it. If you can't afford to do it, though, it's still better to get it in eventually. Uh, One thing, though, to take note about this is, while that may be a good idea with your IRA, it may not be a good idea with your 401k when it comes to your company match. Because depending on how the plan is arranged, if you put all the money in, if you max out the account before the end of the year, you may not get the full match. I don't want to go into all the details about why, but if you are tempted to max out your 401k before the end of the year, talk to your HR folks to make sure that's okay and that you won't miss out on part of the match. Thanks to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for sponsoring today's episode. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust and who has your best interests in mind. With Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states and MLS Consumer Access.org number 3030. Well, Doug McCord.
Kermit joins us again. Thank you for coming back. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you last came on to chat about your book, Family Inc., using business principles to maximize your family's wealth. Uh, but you are also on a mission to help members of the military and their family manage their finances better. And so today you're joining us to talk about that. That's correct. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. Um, can you give me a little bit of background on... Um, on your career here, I know we had it. We yeah. talked about it previous on the previous episode, but just remind our listeners who you are and why we think you're so special. Well, I'll, I'll tell you who I am, and then I'll let you decide. So, so I went to West Point, uh, did my undergrad degree there, uh, active duty Army. Um, decided that it was a great experience, but not going to be a good career choice for me. So I got out and went back to business school, um, and I did that at Harvard. And then I've been basically pursuing um, professions in finance for the last 20 years. So I worked at Morgan Stanley in Manhattan for a couple years um, in a private equity firm and then uh, co-founded my own firm. And so I'm an investor, but consider myself an entrepreneur, small business owner. Um, And so my own personal challenges in transition have led me to appreciate um, A, how hard transition can be for veterans, B, the importance of that kind of window of opportunity, call it six months before you get out to two or three years after, because that's the, the key time when their financial security is really going to be determined for the rest of their lives. And so, you know, I wrote the book for all Americans, but I have a particular passion in making sure that these principles uh, get to our veteran community because I think there's real opportunity to have an impact there. Yeah. Well, we received a letter from Sergeant Y, and I'm so sad that he sent it in April, and we're only now addressing it. Oh, I'm so sorry. But it's a great letter. So the thinking here is that we're going to go through his letter and, and kind of unpack it. And I have asked a fool, Mike Cluster, to go ahead and read this, read the letter and be my Sergeant Y for us. And we'll break in at points to talk about the letter and the concerns and the specifics about it. To Motley Fool Answers, love the show. Thanks for making the most of my daily commute. I've been in the Army for eight years, having recently become much more assertive in my investments, thanks to your show. I've increased my contributions and allocations in my TSP, moved away from mutual funds in my IRA, to index and stocks and feel very good about where I am and will be down the road. What concerns me at this point is seeing the soldiers in my unit neglect to take steps towards saving or make poor financial choices. Very few soldiers partake in TSP that is available to them. And if they do, they don't contribute nearly enough or their allocations are in securities that don't grow. I um, have never been in the military, so I don't know what a TSP is. So it's the Thrift Savings Plan, and it's available to all federal employees. It's uh, like a 401k. Uh, You can do a pre-tax or a Roth approach, so you can defer or not, depending on your tax situation. And they've got a couple different funds, uh, I think five, and they're very kind of plain vanilla. Uh, But it's a low-cost option, and I think in general, um, a a good vehicle. You opt in, just like a 401k. It's as low-cost as you'll find out there. So certainly if you have access to the TSP, it's a great option. It's all index-based investments. So you won't have any actively managed funds, but it is super low cost. Yeah, yeah I think the, the one thing I would comment, I'm, so I'm much more knowledgeable about uh, the DOD policies versus federal government broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, there's not a matching program with TSP. Um, the Department of Defense is undergoing a transition from a defined benefit plan to a hybrid plan that takes an effect in 18. And so there are some big changes on the horizon for the um, active duty population. But as it stands currently, there's very little matching. To further compound the problem, this isn't a new phenomenon. It's a running joke in the military that young soldiers will buy a Mustang at double-digit interest rate, 
or get married at 19. There's monetary incentive for having dependents in the military, which is great for families, but terrible for younger guys who really don't know what they're doing. So first of all, I just got it out of full disclosure. I graduated from West Point in 1991 with a brand new Mustang, Mustang convertible. <laughs> right. It was either a baby or a Mustang. No, with big engine, you got the five liters. So yeah. I, I, I can, I, I hear Sergeant Y uh, in in the back of my head right now. So I would say I think I think Sergeant Y um, is being a little tough on on his uh, service members because I don't think their actions or the way they're thinking about the world is very different from the broad young community. Any other 19-year-old? Yeah. yeah. So having said that, I think there are some um, unique challenges that veterans face that make these decisions more important to them. And those relate to you know, 85% of active duty service members will transition out of service with no retirement benefits. And so I believe the day someone enters service, statistics would say they're going to separate. They should start planning for that separation because that separation, um, they encounter some different challenges around employment, et cetera. The other thing I would say that compounds this problem for young people in general is um, active duty service members have a propensity to have families sooner and financial obligations associated with those families. So the consequences of this kind of behavior uh, are magnified. Yeah. I mean, having kids at a younger age just makes everything harder. And then if you get sent on active duty and you only get to come back every six months, ugh. It, it, it's challenging. Brutal. Yeah, and, and I think there's a really undertold story here that I, I just want to comment on for a second, which is the economic opportunity for military spouses is not near as good as their civilian counterparts. So let me give you a couple statistics there. Um, military spouses are four times more likely to experience unemployment. Uh, so across the country, four and a half percent, roughly 18 percent in wow. military spouse community. Uh, and if you're lucky enough to be employed, statistics would say 35 to 40 percent are underemployed, meaning they're making less for the equivalent work. And there's a lot of reasons on why this is. It could be the geography of the posts. It could be the fact that the culture is one of deployment for the soldier, which makes it difficult for the spouse to, to hold a job and keep the family together. But for a variety of reasons, um, we, we're, we're we're losing potential here among these spouses, and I think there's a big opportunity to improve economic security among the veteran community by improving that. Big challenge, but big opportunity. In combat arms, part of the military whose principal mission is fighting, such as infantry and armory, we are nigh legendary in our inability to grasp adult financial concepts. And if we do, it's from someone or one's own costly mistakes. Sure, we get financial counselors from time to time to explain this stuff. Is that true? Do they have a lot of resources available to them, do you feel? Uh, I, I do. Um, I, I got to say, I'm a little bit dated, right? So my experience may not be indicative of today's experience. Uh, my big complaint about the way the Department of Defense um, teaches financial literacy is I think we teach to the lowest common denominator, and I think we play defense, not offense. And what by, by that, what I mean is, and this is my, my interpretation, but success in terms of teaching financial literacy to the soldier population is keeping them away from payday loans, keeping them away from high cross credit cards, and ensuring they had enough money to make rent. That's survival, but that's not success. Success, in my mind, is giving them the tools to really accumulate wealth and financial security. And I don't think we're doing enough about that side of the equation. We're keeping them out of trouble. We're giving them the basic survival skills. I don't think we're, we're doing enough on the, on the wealth creation side. But majority of the guys are too young to care and have little interest in the matter. The only people who listen are usually the senior guys, like the sergeants and the officers. 
Yeah, I, about right. I, I think that's probably right. Again, I would say um, if you compare it to your civilian counterparts, that's probably very similar. You know, as people age, they begin to start appreciating um, the needs. I think the way to make this relevant for young folks is to emphasize the fact that they are likely to transition. You know, being an active duty service member is a young person's game. And in three, four, five years, they're going to be navigating, um, you know, a, a career transition. They're going to be going back to school. And so this should become important to them pretty quickly. I just had a new guy who has already been in for four years, including an Afghanistan deployment, who just started his TSP. Had he started earlier, his tax-exempt combat pay would have gone to his Roth, and it could have been 100% tax-free. And he's a smart kid. And it pains me to think how so many soldiers haven't even put thought into their retirement. One of my soldiers just got a fat reenlistment bonus and asked me what expensive thing he should buy. He couldn't even finish his sentence before I was yelling in his ear the error of his ways, and he was doing push-ups while I whispered the magic of compound interest and how it would be in his best interest to start a retirement plan. It was a weird day. This is both sad and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I love Sergeant Y. Good for him. I, I think he's uh, sending the right general messages to his, his soldiers. To make a long story short, while I am in charge of a handful of soldiers, I'm in a unique position to influence a company of 150 soldiers. I want the guys to enroll in TSP and start their IRA, but ultimately convey them that saving is a mark of responsibility and adulthood. Most of my audience has the attention span of a five-year-old, and I don't have enough crayons to explain it to them without boring them. What do you think is the best way to get young people started when they lack the knowledge and or interest in saving? How should they start when they have a starting wage and think all their income is for discretionary spending? So um, I'm a little bit of a broken record on this part because I think these are challenges that we face with all of our, you know, younger population. And oh, some of it's all just... of my money in my 20s went to beer. Yes, it was exactly. all discretionary. <laughs> <laughs> Which you, you probably have a lot of great memories, right? So, so I do. Who's to the say one, that I was the wasted? ones you remember? Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, so so you know, I get back to um, highlighting for the veteran community the unique circumstances. 85% will transition. Uh, when they transition, um, about a third take a year or more to find their first job. Um, and in many cases, they're going to go to uh, school with the GI Bill. So 50% of eligible veterans use the GI Bill. So when you can frame it in ways that are relevant to them and help them understand that they're, um, you know, these choices are really going to benefit them in the very near term, I think that's the valuable um, lesson here. And so I think uh, I, if I was Sergeant Y, I would, would change um, the way I'm positioning a little bit differently. Retirement's obviously important, but for these veterans, it's not retirement, it's effective transition because they're likely to get out, and that's much, uh, you know, much more near-term goal for them. That's likely three years. Uh, so to frame it that way, I think um, they're likely to be more receptive to why this matters to them. Yeah, it kind of gets also to your point that we talked about when you were on the show last time about focusing on your labor potential. And, and that is going to have such a big impact in the long run as opposed to your investment returns, which will also impact you, of course. But. Yeah, no, my, my, my concern with the veteran community, why I'm spending a lot of time there is, you know, I think if veterans are getting out, and by the way, these are not small numbers, about 175,000 veterans will leave active duty service every year for the wow. next 10, right? Mm. So wow. these are big numbers. Yeah. Um, and if they're required or forced to take a job that's not the best use of their skills, because they couldn't afford to keep looking, I think they're impairing their lifetime income here, you know, for yeah. many years to come. Yeah. So these are big, big stakes questions. And if we can teach them 
to have the financial flexibility to find the right job because they have savings or they've limited their fixed costs and their obligations from a family or you know the the Mustang example. Um, I think that really serves them well. Yeah. How long did you end up keeping that Mustang? Still got it. What? Whoa! Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. No, I'm a keeper. I'm a keeper. <laughs> I think it's I think it's worth like two grand, but I got it. I don't drive it much. It sits in a garage up in Pennsylvania. So, I hope the questions aren't too broad to make bad radio. A lot of people I work with see investments as too esoteric a subject, and I hope you can break it down for them as you did for me. Best regards and thanks, Sergeant Y. Sorry, Sergeant Y. I'm reading the whole thing on yeah. air. So, bro. What's your best piece of advice about getting young people to care about managing their money and their potential? Well, I, I thought it was one of the things that Doug talks about in his book, and it has a calculator on his website, familyinc.com, is creating a present value of your income, of your labor. And when instead of thinking, I'm making $40,000 a year when you use the calculator and figure that it's actually over your life, it has a present value of $2 million or so, and if you can instead earn a little bit more and you see that value grow, I think that's pretty powerful to see. And then when you think about someone who's just saving like 10% of their salary, how much they'll have even 10 years down the road versus someone, if you're making 40000 versus someone who's making fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, I think that's, that's powerful as well. You know, the way I like to describe it is um, it, I would much rather grow wealth than try to save it. Right? So you can grow wealth by, by making good choices with your labor and making good asset allocation choices with your financial capital, embracing equities, that kind of thing. Uh, saving your way there you know, when you're not uh, using your labor effectively and you're not investing effectively, that's tough. It's like being on a diet for life. That doesn't sound Sounds like, like fun. Sounds like less fun. Yeah. Definitely right. less fun. One thing you talked about in your book and that is somewhat addressed in Sergeant Wise's email was he said that they're if they are participating in the TSP, they're often investing in low-returning assets, so I'm assuming he's talking about bonds. In your book, you go into a good bit of detail about why, actually, over the long term, stocks are actually less risky than bonds. Yeah, so, so you know, I come at it again from, I'm looking at it as a business, and, and I think as if you look at yourself as a business, you would say, I may need some contingency funds for unexpected things, but everything else in a young person's life is really very long duration. And so I'm a huge fan of, other than contingency funds, I would, would really significantly allocate that to equities. And when you look at it over the long run, call it 20 or more years, the volatility of equity returns dramatically compresses relative to fixed income. The other thing that I think people miss is the right metric for evaluating performance is not nominal return. We all use nominal return because it's easy and your tax rate could be different than my tax rate, et cetera. But the right answer is after tax, after inflation, purchasing power. And when you look at it that way, again, equities look, look less risky. Yeah, one of the stats you had in your book was, and I think you got it from Vanguard, Vanguard, was that since the 1920s, there's only one decade that stocks lost to inflation, whereas treasuries lose to inflation in about half the decades. Yep. So yep. you're losing purchasing power. Even though it may look like it's growing, you're losing purchasing power if you're just sticking with bonds. Yep. Yeah, and you know, the in that decade, the the dispersion of outcome is much tighter, but you're probably playing a loser's game a lot more of the time in, in your uh, fixed income. Right. All right. Any closing thoughts for Sergeant Y? Get him. Keep at it. And, Keep yeah. at it, Sergeant Y. Um, you know, a lot of times I find that young folks they they act like they ignore you, but it sticks with them, and at some point, it'll change behavior. More push-ups. Exactly. More, More push-ups, push-ups and yeah. whispering in the and ear. Whispering in the ear about the compound interest. interest. 
<laughs> All right, Doug, thank you for joining us again. This has yeah. been a great thank chat. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's the show. Thanks to Doug McCormick for joining us. His book, again, is Family Inc., Using Business Principles to Maximize Your Family's Wealth. You can get it where all fine books are sold. Also, thanks to Fool Mike Clesta for being the voice of Sergeant Y. And thanks to Sergeant Y for sending the letter. I have many more thanks, by the way, because I also want to thank him, (laughs) along with all of the other men and women who are serving or who have served our nation in the armed forces, like listeners, Alan, Kirby, Austin, and Shiraz, to name a few. And final thanks to, I don't know how to read this. It looks like Glitto, Gutto. Either way, it's awesome because he sent a, he or she sent a postcard from Western Australia. Uh, and we also got a postcard from Richard in New Mexico. So thanks, you guys, for still sending them in. I'm not going to give you the full court press again until summer, but. I'm still happy to get them. All right. The show is edited precisely by Rick Engdahl, and our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. 